Hello, welcome. It's Amish Inquisition time yet again. Yay! Episode 101. Yeah, man. On Sunday, the 29th of September 2019. I'm Amish Phil. Amish Ben is in the house. Hi. And we're back with the legend, the living legend, that is Bab Jibber. Jim Babba. Everybody out. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how are we doing? Well. Since you were last here, I had a stroke. So people think I'm um, pissed as fucking two handcarts. It's because I've had a stroke, not because I'm kind of slurring my words a lot. <sighs> you know, but it's coming back, you know. You're on the mend. Um, and I've given up smoking. Yep. So if I run out there and murder somebody. <laughs> or A friend of mine said he, in the first week you were allowed... Three dead bodies in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. So, was, yeah, I'm okay. That's average, is it? Yeah. Three. Three, three murders. Murder. What was the thing on Demolition Man? Oh. Murder, kill, homicide or something, wasn't it? <laughs> um, so, just to recap, uh, if you've not heard Jim before on the podcast, you should probably go back and listen to the three previous episodes. Oh, I can't remember what they are. 83, 88... <laughs> No, we can't know. 91, maybe. Yeah, whatever it is. Anyway, um, last time we t- we covered your first trip to the US, the US tour, with, yeah, with uh, yeah. Gene the Genie, Gene Rosenthal. Yeah. Or Rosenberg. God damn it. Rosenberg. Um, the two bush crash in Scandinavia. Uh, New Zealand and the wow. mongrel mob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cruncher. Cruncher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Massive. Massive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, country and Western. Your your vendetta with Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh yeah. Um, because there was a massive country and western boom in the what early to mid nineties. If the... you if you say um, there's a track on one of my albums called, well it's C dot dot T from Preston. Mm. Right. But if you do say come from Preston, come from Preston, come from Preston, it sounds like country and western, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that track starts off country and western and ends up Brazilian samba. (laughs) By way of acid jazz. It's a natural progression. (laughs) Miscellaneous is at its finest. Very good. So after uh, country and western, we talked about you getting clean. Your road, road to recovery and interventions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we touched on your marriages yeah. briefly. Uh, yeah. First charity record. And we sort of ended with you getting your award at Downing Street. Right, right. So... I, I think it's good to point out here, again, you know, the kind of 
the kind of freedom that I had when I stopped using drugs, but, you know, for people, you know. You know, well, that kind of don't start, don't start, don't tell yourself a lie that you've got to do this to be like these people or any of that shit, you know. Because the, the life that I had um, from 1997 onwards, you know, like, like an award at number 10, you know, I'd have, I'd have never have done that, you know. I'd have never have made my own music, which we started off with last week. And I'd have never have um, got together with Gary uh, and the band, the three people in the band, Gary, Mike and Jake, who who were great, you know, who were great with me, you know, the underground ballroom. But mainly getting back into playing music, because if you remember, you know, that last kind of moment of clarity was, I started hating my music, mm. you know, which is, uh, you know, completely out of fucking order, you know. So, yeah, just um, uh, emphasise that. It's funny how that um, addiction can take something that's been probably the the main focus of your life from yeah. being what four, four or five years old or something it does and turn it on its head yeah because i, uh, I um went back to college and did psychology and then uh psychotherapy and stuff and addiction therapy ended up working in prisons which we t touched on you know and it, 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 in all my experience you know uh, what happens is people lose you know, families, mothers, money. Uh, I lost music. I lost music. Which is, uh, so uh, getting back into, what I'm saying is getting back into playing with those four guys and also making that first CD, I just started loving it again, you know, which is great. And <laughs> yeah. I suppose you you you're actually present for it rather than being exactly. off your head all the way through exactly. it and just waking up the next morning <laughs> thinking, oh, was that a good gig? I'm not sure. Yeah, and where's Billy Ray Cyrus? So when did you go back to college? I went back to college um, to kind of 2000s. Right, so a bit before you got the award. Uh, 1999, I think. Right. Yeah. And so how did that work? Was it like um, an open university type thing or? A... Well, I did a, um, I, I got a degree in London in the late 70s. Right. When I was living in kind of Deptford, remember that? Mm -hmm. Around there. I went to Goldsmiths oh, yeah. College. Because um, you could get a fucking grant, you know, you could get 1800 quid. Um, mainly, but I got I got um, a Bachelor of Humanities in Communication Studies and Comparative Religion. Oh, right. Which I've used extensively. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, you know. <laughs> but so what I did was I took a post-grad thing here at Preston which is only a couple of years in psychology, and then I did a um, advanced diploma in in 
counselling and psychotherapy at at, uh, Wigan. Right. Wigan and Lee College, which at the time was the the foremost uh, college for that kind of thing. Was it really? Wigan. And was this with a view, were you thinking, this is going to be my new career sort of thing and move away from the music? Well, I, I, I was getting... I was getting clean and I was talking to a lot of people um, and I kind of, you know, got to the, it's a bit like my charity work, really. I kind of wanted to give some stuff back, you know, mm. give, give something back. And, uh, well, I was looking for a job. I was caring for my mum and dad. Mm. And so um, that, there was that. Uh, but, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. Uh, which, so I did these degrees. And I, it was a friend of mine, I think, who, who just said, you know, you, I think you'd be really good in the, in the addictions business, you know. Uh, in the addictions business, uh, you know, getting people, getting people off fucking heroin and crack and... Blah blah blah. Mm. So you did. It did lead to a job then. Oh well, yeah. We, we talked about you working in the prisons and stuff. I mean. Yeah. Well, that was. I went into the first time I went into Lancaster Farms. You know the the uh, youth offenders. Yeah. Place and uh, on the, I can't remember what they call placement mm. on on placement from college. Right. You know, if you want to be a teacher, they put you in schools. If you want to be so, and then I, I and then. In the, in the, I think it was this, was it third year? In the third year, I went into Lancaster Castle. Mm. And when I got my, I got on really well with the people there. I got on really well with the governor and and all that kind of thing. Uh, uh, and the, uh, there was probation then, which is a, a kind of thing now. There was, the, the head of probation was an old Scotch guy. Called Jock, <laughs> called Jock, but I, uh, he, he was brilliant, you know, uh, and he was really into kind of rehab, you know, he was really into trying to get prisoners rehabilitated rather than locked up, you know. Mm. So I got on well with him, and he said, you know, when you finish your degree, then you, you know, you can. Uh, there's a job here for you. And was it sort of mainly one? Were you sort of dealing one on one with people in yeah, there? Yeah, kind of one to one. Then what happened there was uh, uh, two prison officers who, because the trouble about working in prison is you've got keys and you've got to go through about 62 doors just to move somebody from A to B. Mm. You know, it's a fucking noun now. But. So, two prison officers, I think I've been there for, I can't remember how long, but got together and we took the idea to Jock and the governor of setting up a clean wing, you know, where people could come and, you know, if they wanted to get clean. Really, what we were doing was setting up a, a kind of rehab within a prison. Right. Which had only been done once before, which was um, a friend of mine was running a prison in Kent, and he was running um, a 
organisation called the Rehabilitation of Addicted Prisoners Trust. Right. And they gave money and help and stuff. So with <laughs> his help and the permission of the governor, uh, I mean, governors don't run prisons. We have to get security. Security run prisons. You know, the head of security is is really the top man, you know. So we had to get all that done, and that's what we did. That's what we did. So we, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. What sort of, you know, when you're in <coughs> Lancaster Farms, a young offenders institute, What if you had to sort of take a guess at what percentage of the lads in there have these sort of addiction problems um, at this time? I mean, we're going well, back the, nearly the, 20 years, aren't we? The problem with, the problem, of course, with prisons is that there's more drugs in prison than there is, you know, outside, man, you know. Uh, I mean, a friend of mine in the States um, actually builds prisons. You know, he's made a fucking fortune. And what he does, he puts a, a drug rehabilitation centre and a medical centre in the middle and then builds a prison around it. Yeah. You know, because... It, uh, and sad to say, and this is the same with the Palms, or it's the same with Lancaster and every goddamn prison I've been into. You know, drugs get in there, you know, uh, no matter what. You know, and <clears throat> I remember Big Bill saying to me in America, I mean, if you, if you can only visit somebody and you've got a plate glass in front of you and you talk to them on the telephone, how are you getting drugs in? Guides, no. The screw. <coughs> Correct. Yeah. Corruption. Yeah. Money. So. Well, the, the answer is probably pay pay the guides more. Yeah. And what I was going to say was, I mean, a youth offenders institution like that is really uh, college. <laughs> you know. They go. Yeah, they, have they, a, they go have in. A, have a go at this. They go in as sort of quite soft, naive yeah. lads who've maybe caught Pots on a mixed demeanour yeah, yeah. and they come out hardened criminals. <laughs> yeah, and and addicts. And addicts. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I even had a few occasions to talk to people um, who were coerced, you know, to coerced by, by a kind of gang in a prison to take this and then you're our customer what's the um the main drug that floats around the prisons and the youth offenders oh, heroin heroin it was heroin crap fucking hell heroin crap moment and of course hooch hooch yeah they, they make alcohol out of the most inventive guy that I ever met used to make his his hooch from umbongo. Do you remember? Wow, umbongo. Do you remember umbongo? The, yeah, the, they drink the it in the Congo. <laughs> yeah, they just ferment stuff, you know. Fermented umbongo. Quietly <laughs> behind some, in some dark corridor or recess somewhere. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it all goes on, you know. I suppose. I do you, did you ever feel like you were sort of fighting a uh, fighting a losing battle doing that job? Well, 
It's reminding me of something that happened to me recently. Um, uh, uh, there's a kind of online community of people that I that I um, belong to, and uh, a couple of new people came in, and what I, d I hadn't realised was that all these three people were in the rehab in Lancaster Castle. And they're still off drugs today. One's a financial wizard in London. Another guy runs a, a kind of charity thing in Liverpool. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's that's what that is. It's like uh, one of my favourite people in the world is a, a, a guy called uh, Dr. Magda Yakub, who's a, a children's brain surgeon. Uh, Pediatrician, I think. Anyway, he he gave up a kind of lucrative, kind of Harley Street type thing, and he works in Africa. And he he's operated on little kiddies' hearts for years, for twenty five years, you know, and saved thousands of lives, thousands of lives. And I, I heard him interviewed, and he said one would have been enough. Mm. Yeah. Just do it. Kind of thing. Amazing to have that power in your hands, isn't it? Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, save people's lives and stuff. Yeah, it's a case of, uh, you know, the old uh, average white band tune, you know, get the message. Get the message. If they get the message, they get it. If they don't, they don't. You know? So um, while we're talking about medical things, I don't know whether we should move on to the big C. Uh, that comes a bit later. Does it? Yeah. So uh, yeah. should we carry on with the... Uh... That comes a bit later. Um, music. Oh, yeah. Let's get back to the packing. <laughs> you're still... Uh, you're still... Excuse my French. <laughs> you're still active playing then while you're doing the... Um, after you've gone back to college and working in the prisons and stuff. Oh, yeah. Doing professionally or just as a... No, just, a, you know, the underground ballroom with those guys, yeah. you know. Um, uh, great guys, brilliant musicians. You know, we hardly ever rehearsed. It was, it was never... It was a fantastic band. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, Gary Fitzelwhite, you know, oh, the cool. bass player, who the mad professor mistook for... Marcus Miller, if you remember. Yeah. This is the Morecambe guy, isn't it? Runs the, yeah. uh, runs Prom the music. <coughs> Promenade yeah. music. That's the one, Promenade uh, And the fantastic guitarist called um, Mike Atherton from Lancaster. Former England cricket captain. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and Bolt Tamper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jake Jackson, keyboard player. So I was doing three or four nights a week. Really? Really, gigging really, really, or practicing? Gigging. Wow. Nice. Yeah, we used to, yeah, there was the John O'Gaunt, the Bobbin, mm. the, about the four pubs around Lancaster that we just mm. used to, we had a kind of permanent residency in, you know. Yeah. And we had a hell of following, you know, it was good. You know, well, you seem to, you seem to take good, yeah. good band. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tight as a mouse's horse. Great band. Great what was band. the band called, Jim? 
Underground Ballroom. Underground Ballroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that one. Uh, but at the same time, I'd, I'd just done this, um, you know, my charity CD uh, and made a lot of money, you know. Made a lot of money, got that, an award, etc. That was for sickle so, cell anemia. Yeah. So I've always wanted to make a, a reggae album. Always wanted to make a reggae album and done, do the kind of history of reggae, you know. Like, oh, from, I think we've talked about it, you know, from Calypso to Mento, Scar, Rocksteady, mm. you know, a bit of everything in it, you know. Um, and so I, I, I thought, well, the next one, I thought, well, I've made a lot of money on that. This one's going to be send Jim back to the fucking Bahamas charity. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I could make a lot of money doing that, mm. you know. So I got together with uh, Alan again and, and some people at Lowfold, but I couldn't find a singer. Couldn't, I couldn't find anybody to sing it, and I did loads and loads of um, uh, auditions, you know. Just couldn't find. And then by then I'd set up a little production company called Bam Jimba Productions, you know, because I had to get it all legal and, and I had to get it all legal and all that kind of stuff mm. if I was going to make money. So I got all that sorted out and uh, this uh, somebody saw my website and sent me this little four-track uh, demo. And it was a guy called Olawatobi Abdijiji from Nigeria, otherwise known as El Fata, mm. right? Yep. And I put this on and I thought, thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, you know, because this guy just sang like a linnet, you know, but he was in Nigeria. Shit. Uh. With his family. It just been thrown out. Well, not thrown out. He he moved. He got a record deal in in um, the Ivory Coast, so he'd moved there, and then the the war kicked off there. So he'd moved back to Nigeria, and then he'd come to England, but his visa had run out, so he'd come back. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I went through hell and fucking high water to get him into it the UK, so he could work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's when we started on uh, Roots. Roots. And was the this... Um, album called Roots, R-O-U-T-E-S. Pun on the word, Roots. Mm -hmm. Roots. And was this like reggae covers, or were you writing in the studio? No, was, we were doing stuff together, because when I met him, he's one of the most amazing... The creative vocalist, a but he also, you know, he's a genuine Rastafarian, even though he comes from uh, Nigeria, and uh, I'm a fucking wonderful human being to be honest. But how hell can he sing, you know? <clears throat> and and he was really interested in it, and he really got into it because he'd studied, you know, he'd studied the roots of reggae. 
because he fucking loved it, you know. Uh, and so we got, again, we got on like a house on fire and Adam was there and done the heaven was the rhythm and it just carried on and on, you know. And, and so we, yeah, we finished that, that album. I've got a lot of the backing tracks down and he did some vocals and then uh, I thought I'd, what I'll do is I, I, I'll catch up with some old friends of mine in uh, in London, a guy called uh, uh, Dennis Babel. I don't know whether I've talked to you about him. Oh. He was the guy who taught me how to play reggae drums on the on the old uh, that band called the Alligators. Remember? Yeah, I went in the yeah. studio with him, mm-hmm. Blackbeard, who was called. He was in a band called Matumbi. So, so I wanted him to play on some names, you know. And also, I played with a guy called Rico Rodriguez. Do you know who he is? No. He, well, latterly, before he died, bless him, he was um, he played trombone with a Jules Solomon orchestra. Oh. But he used to have he used to be a big star in Jamaica, and then he came up to London, and I joined his band. He was my boss for a, for a bit, playing scar. He's a scar. The man from if you want a really good scar, I'm a, the man from Wareka. Uh, that's got Brad from the specials on it. Mm. Drumming. Fantastic drummer, Brad. But I took over from, from him for a bit and Rico's band. You know? All right. But I, I was talking to De- uh, Dennis and he said, um, do you want to meet the mad professor? You know, and I went... Do I? Because like the, the Mad Professor was probably the biggest producer of reggae in the eighties and nineties. Uh, fantastic producer, you know. Um, so we meant to m- meet him, and then and then me and Toby um, came down to London and kind of we got together and kind of mixed a lot of it. Right. You know? <clears throat> and that was when, uh, you know, the famous uh, Marcus Miller, you know, go, go, mm-hmm. where I met Sly and Robbie and all that. That, that was while we were working at the studio. Oh, there's a great story there. I remember we we got um, Rico in because uh, I remember Neil, the professor, the prof, saying, what the... Well, you know Rico? I said, yeah. He said, well, I can get in there. I said, well, yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing, you know. And I had two tracks for for Rico because he was in his 80s then. Wow. <coughs> this old guy, you know. Mm. And um, uh, he came into the studio that morning and he sat down and he just started reading the, uh, he just started reading the paper, you know, the Jamaican Gleaner. And, and then he put it down and he went in and he said, Prof, just run the tracks. And he fucking blew beautiful, you know. <laughs> and he came back and he sat down in, his, in the chair again and started reading the paper again. <laughs> and um, the professor said, uh, you okay, sir? Was that all right? Are you, are you happy with that? And he said, no, man. 
not happy with that. He said, is that chicken soup shop still across the road there? They sell that beautiful chicken chowder. He said, uh, Professor said, yeah. He said, I gave me some of that to come back and make a better job of it. <laughs> <laughs> so off he went. This is an amazing story. But meanwhile, I I put down what I call a Taj Mahal jump reggae track, which is snare drum first and then bass drum, like. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Sounds good just hitting a table, Jim. Yeah, yeah, he said, <laughs> Tell you're a drummer. He said, because um, we've been, you know, talking about the roots of it all and all that, you know. He said, While I'm getting the soup, he said, Can you change that back to a straight 4 4? Right. Like, I'm like, yeah, sure. So I ran through the whole track while he was out, and then he came back and and did it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then this is the most fantastic thing. We're in the studio, and there's a kind of TV on, you know, with, I don't know, Channel 4 News or CNN or something in the background. And... I was, we were t talking between us, and uh, Rico was saying uh, the first records that I heard as a kid uh, were Fats Domino, you know, because and he also he told me to slow it down. He said a lot of people play Scar too quick, you know. So he said because the first records that we heard which got us into playing Scar were, were things like Walking to New Orleans by, by Pat's Domino, which is Walking to New Orleans I'm walking to New Orleans Right. And just as we were talking about that, they found the motherfucker on a roof. Which motherfucker? Pat's Domino. <laughs> Found him on a roof. Katrina. Oh, the um, storm, the <sighs> hurricane. Jeez. And my professor said, turn the fucking TV up. And just as we were talking about that, because <laughs> he was missing, yeah. you know. Yeah, man. Fuck, right. It, right, because he was in New Orleans, was he? When it, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Katrina hit. Yeah. They, found, it, they found him on his roof. <laughs> Yeah. That's a synchronicity, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. There ain't no coincidences, man. No. I believe in miracles. You sexy thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, uh, brought that album down and it got, it got rave reviews because I'd built up a kind of uh, I built up a kind of uh, audience, really, for the kind of reggae. The first, first, my first CD was kind of reggae-ish, you know. It wasn't kind of full-on reggae, but this was kind of, kind of like a history of reggae. And I, I got introduced to, um, you know, a top reggae journalist called um, 
John Missouri and people like uh, Roger Steppens in the States. But th the main thing was there was a guy called Russ Charles Jones from New York who, who loved my stuff. Uh, and so he was playing it a lot on a radio. Yeah. And um, and also the Midnight Dread in Paris. I can't remember what his name was. Thierry, Thierry something. But he was a Midnight Dread in Paris. He came onto the, onto this radio station and played kind of reggae all night nearly. And he really hit it as well. So when this new one came out, I'd already established a kind of audience. Right. But it didn't make as much money as a, as a charity one. Right. And I think that's mainly because uh, it's a charity. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, you know, if it's just a normal album, people go, yeah, I mean, it got rave reviews, you know. I think they think... I've, I think there was a thing about me because I'd moved my name around like Jim Bamber to Bam Jimba, you know, and I hadn't put any photographs on mm. apart from that one with all the boys in the Bahamas there. But you can hardly see me. I'm at, I'm at the back. Yeah. yeah. You know, the only one with a suntan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I think a lot of these people thought I was black. Right. You know. Uh, You're not. No, I've always wanted to be. It's <laughs> <laughs> a psychological childhood secret, you know. Yeah, work that out, psychiatrists, <laughs> you know. Because, it, I, you know, it's that music thing, you know. Mm. It's that thing about, you know, when Miles Davis says, when they're I can always tell when it's a black band, always. I can always tell when it's a black rhythm section. Always. Really? I can notice straight away when they're white. Really? Yeah, you man. Oh, fuck it, yeah. <laughs> Miles. Bless yeah. him. What a car. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Do you believe could, that, Jim? We could do a we could do a whole uh, whole program on uh, on Miles. Bless him. No. Not necessarily, no. No. Not necessarily, no. But there is, uh, you know, it's very difficult to, and people have tried and tried to get things like, uh, I don't know whether I've talked about the Funk Brothers, one of my favourite bands. The Funk Brothers are the backing band for all those Tamla Motown hits that you've heard, you know, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder, Temptations, all that. That's the house band. Right. I saw them at Ronnie Scott's, mm. you know. And if you if you listen to all those Tamla Motown things, there was always a tambourine on it. Right. Nowhere around to baby. Mm. Always a tambourine. And the, 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 guy, the guy had a big red suit on, percussionist. He had a... All that kind of stuff, but mainly tambourine. And I got to shake him by the hook, fucking hand, man, mm -hmm. because I grew up on that shit. Yeah. You know, the old Motown. 
Mm. See, well, I didn't, <coughs> I didn't realise until quite recently that Stevie Wonder was a demon drummer. Oh, fuck yeah, man. Unbelievable. He, Have you ever seen plays, him on YouTube no, playing no. drums? He plays, <laughs> he plays everything on uh, Superstition. Does he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, go on, go on YouTube, the, uh, eavesdroppers and stream droppers, and just put Stevie Wonder drumming oh, yeah, into YouTube. Yeah. It'll blow you away. Pearson. Yeah. Multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. Uh, awesome, man. You know. But a uh, great band, the Bond Brothers. Yeah. So, where are we? Well, albums uh, come out. It didn't make as much money as I thought it would. Still available to buy, Jim. You might get a resurgence. <laughs> I, I'm not sure because I, uh, the next, uh, I'm kind of up into uh, almost 2007 now. <coughs> oh, excuse me, I'm not smoking. Crash it. Um, I'm smoking for two. But, uh, <laughs> um, meanwhile, I, I, I've got these things where I, I I get a, not to get too political, but I, I get a fucking bee in my bonnet about shit, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, uh, my first charity sing single, or I used to make these little um, kind of, I used to call them EPs, you know, two yeah. or three tracks. I'll, I'll show you them later, some of them. Uh, the first one that I did was, I, I've always had... Um, it's a sad state of affairs, you know, this, um, you know, the Middle East thing, mm. you know. And a friend of mine, a uh, saxophone player, introduced me to a uh, Jewish singer who wanted me to do percussion at a charity thing that she was doing for Palestinian refugees. And I just thought, oh, that's interesting. Mm. A Jewish lady, right? And her name is Mikhail Narman, and she's a singer. Back in this, she a singer, I found out. Um, and I did this gig with her, and we got talking and this and that and the other. Meanwhile, I, I've been on holiday to my little bolt hole in... Uh, Marrakesh, and uh, I've been wandering about, and I've come across this shop, you know, with a classic shop, you know, with a window and a, a door, a little shop, but it kind of went back deep, and then there's these pictures in the window of this kind of amazing-looking fucking orchestra, you know. And it said, look after Lamanustra. The inquiries ring, miss you, Khabib. You know, and I kept going past it. I, I kept peering in the window, you know, and I could see racks and racks of kind of musical instruments and stuff. You know, so I thought, this looks really interesting, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you do. And... Uh, it, I remember it was on the Friday, almost the very, I was going home on the Sunday. On the Friday, I, I 
went past this place and the two guys were sat outside. One of them was playing an oud <laughs> and the other was playing uh, this um, uh, a kind of, it's like a squeeze box. But anyway, anyway, and they were just kind of playing, you know. And I walked up to them and, and said, um, fantastic, I've been coming past the, the shop Etc. Uh, Etc. Et he said, "Is there anywhere where I can see you? Are you playing a gig?" I said, "I've only got till Sunday. I'm leaving on Sunday." And they said, "Oh, we're playing a wedding tomorrow." And I went, "Ooh, well, no, I don't want to impose on, you know." And what I realised is bands and people are exactly the same the whole world over. You know, Michel Khalid said, and. Um, have you got some dark trousers and a white shirt? I said, yeah, I can, I can manage that. He said, well, just come along and carry some equipment. <laughs> it's exactly the same, isn't it? Yeah. One of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. What kind place. of wedding was it? Uh, a big Moroccan wedding. Right. Oh, I had it in this big Riyadh, you know, Jesus. And that, that's where I first saw this orchestra. And it started off the first session and it just sounded like, you know, a kind of little calm breeze in the desert. And the first first session, kind of quiet and everything, and then built up during the night when everybody's going fucking out shit, you know. <laughs> and I thought, greatest experience, great experience. So I'd recorded them. The next time I went, I went down there. I'd recorded them, and I'd recorded a guy called Ali Youssef, who's a, a Raita player. There's a Raita there in, in the bag. It's um, looks it's like a, a gym bag. It's one of those. It's like something you put your football boots in. No, it's one of those. Um, uh, it's like a double-sided. It's a double-sided <laughs> dildo. No, no. no. <laughs> It's a double-sided pipe. Yeah, it looks <laughs> complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's I'll put that back. Before <laughs> <laughs> you break it. It's a high-pitched double-sided pipe. Right. Uh, uh, a bit like an oboe, you know, right. with a double reed. Really right. hard to play. Yeah. But it definitely very distinctive, it very distinctive um, uh, sound. What's it called? A Rivita. <laughs> a what? No, no, right. <laughs> Raita. Raita. Raita, yeah. Right. Uh, <coughs> I'll see if I can find some. I'll see if I can find some for you. Yeah. But it, you'll, you'll know it the minute you. It's a very Arabic sound. Yeah. You know? So what I, what I did was I brought out um, my first charity. Um, uh, single was called Shalom Shalom, which means which is Arabic, and, and also I had Nikal sing in 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 the Jewish language, but then I had the the Arabic musicians underneath, and I did it for <coughs> excuse me, I did it for um, this radio station called Shalom Shalom. Which is trying to get, you know, young Palestinians and young and young Jews. Israelis together yeah. to, uh, to. So that was the 
one of my first ones. Right. Well, it's been a, per- a perennial problem for decades, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. The only uh, two-state solution. I kind of despair of that now. Mm. You just think, well, how's it going to end, don't you? Well, n- now, uh, you know, with... Uh, you know, the, the big... With Trump and Netanyahu. Has Netanyahu got uh, got back in? Yeah, he's so just been... This re- um, re- election recently, wasn't kind it? Kind of wheedled, wheedled it somehow, I think. Mm. Mind you, uh, it's, that's a bit pre- precarious. But I mean, it, it's like a Brexit thing, you know? Mm. You know, who's looking after the NHS? Yeah. While all this bullshit, all this... Lots of big Smoke. divisive issues in Smoke the world. Sucks all the um, <coughs> all the oxygen out of politics. A big mm. issue like Brexit, and uh, nothing else is being discussed. No. Yeah. So that was my first one, and um, yeah, get, uh, raised quite a bit of money. Beautiful songs, you know. It's a lovely. It's on uh, Spotify. Right. Still available to download? Well, I don't think you can download it. Ah, well, yeah, it's all changed it now, isn't it? Stream. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> on iTunes. Yeah. So I think... <coughs> God, we're all dying in here. Fucking hell. I'm getting out of smoking, all right? Whoever you are, <laughs> the powers that be. Yeah. Just die quietly, Jim. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where were we before I had a cup of it? Single, release single. First charity single. Oh, the first one, yeah. Uh, next one was. Um, uh, child Soldiers. Mm. I watched a documentary about Child Soldiers. I think it was about, uh, what's his name? Coney. Oh, yeah. Oh, Coney. Congo? Yeah. Democratic Republic yeah. of Congo. Yeah. And it's about mineral wars, isn't it? Conflict the, minerals. The, the way I got into that was... was it Liberia? I'm not sure. Come on. Uh, Go on. No, he's in charge of the Lord's Resistance Army. This guy, um, and the way I got into that was, I've, I, I've always loved gorillas, you know, as animals. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've talked, have I talked about this? No, silverbacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this one, George is right behind you there. George. And uh, uh, anyway, I got into it because that's where. The last bastion of kind of uh, uh, how the gorillas are the with you know the DAR, Cong- Cong- Democratic Republic of Congo, Uganda, Ru- Rwanda, in the Virunga Mountains, right. which are almost in just about every one of those four countries, mm. and the problem was. <clears throat> there was, um, you know, insurgents of war in just about every country. Yeah. And so people were being displaced 
and um, moving up the mountains and cutting the trees down. So there was a problem, you know, with... with um, Destroying the habitat of the gorillas. Yeah, that's how I got into it. But then I, I heard about this guy, Joseph Coney. <coughs> and just about every other... Um, um, warlord in Africa, you know, who, who um, I mean, get, get that thing on the top though. I think it's on the top though. Help these children. That's it. Change their lives like this to this. So you've got a picture of these uh, kids with AK-47s and then playing football. Bam Jimber has produced a charity single, <laughs> Lay Down Your Arms and Dance, which we played at the beginning of the episode. <coughs> Help the children by downloading it at Napster, iTunes, Rhapsody, etc. Thank you for your support. So this is this is about, and then the back cover with another kid with a, with a rifle. Oh. A kid who looks about maybe a couple of years older than my eldest son. Yeah. But it's about warlords exploiting ch children yeah. and arming them, isn't it? And that kid on the front has been macheted from the back. What? Oh, oh man. Right. Yeah. Okay. He's got wounds on the front cover, on his yeah. shoulder and back of his head. Yeah. Machete. You know, have you seen those? Yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah like 18 inch, two foot long. Yeah, so... Yeah. I got a beam about it about that. Yeah. And, and uh, it's so them. easy for us in the Western world, we are uh, lifestyle to sort of just either turn a blind eye or just not think about things like that that are going yeah. on in the world, isn't it? It's, it's crazy, really, because um, it still goes on. Yeah. You know, it's still happening. I mean, I can't remember when I made that. That would be uh, 2004, five, six, something like that. And it, it still goes on, you know. Uh, and, of course, people in in uh, ISIS, you know, Daesh, you know, were recruiting kids. It just goes on and on and on, you know. They just use kids all the time. Well, top topically, do you remember the controversy last year, I think it was, with the... Isis Bride, I uh, can't uh, remember her name, Shamima Begum, yeah, uh. and uh, I think it came out this week that she was, she's, there's no way she's coming up back. Mm. Um, it, it's just that these, I, it's just children, you know, for fuck's sake, if you, if you look at that, a, a picture of that, like that, you know, I, I just, and it, you know, they, People like Coney were using children to walk through minefields. <coughs> yeah. That's, it's just... You've got to wonder what's going through these, these yeah, guys' heads. Yeah, yeah. What is it, wrong it, with them? You know, talk about the heart of darkness, you know. And what drives uh, someone to, uh, to do know, that? The old heart of darkness, you know. Joseph Conrad. Uh, horror. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, well, he was the same, wasn't he? Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is the same thing, man. Yeah, Colonel Kurtz. People who go nuts. You know, it's uh, power still. Power. Yeah. Power greed. You know, because like you say, it's for, um, you know, minerals, diamonds. Lithium, I believe. Is one of the Lithium's conflict minerals. We use it in our batteries, and you know we uh, don't think twice about yep. you know buying the next iPhone 11 that comes out. Well, where does right. the lithium come from in that battery? Right, How do you right. know it's ethically sourced? Mm. I believe there is a company a couple of years ago came out with a smartphone, and it was an ethical smartphone. Wow! Oh and yes, all uh, the all the parts. You know, you've heard stories about where the iPhones made mm. in these factories in China, where they have to they have to put nets around the buildings mm. to stop people committing suicide yeah. because they're working so long. Anyway, this company developed this phone. And it's it's made. There's no sort of slave labor. People are paid well. The minerals are ethically sourced. Everything's modular, isn't it? So you can change the screen yourself. You can change oh, the battery. All it's. I think it's Fairphone. I think it's called right. Fairphone. We could we can fact check that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, but we turn a blind eye, don't we? A lot of there the time. Are, there are there are some amazing people doing some amazing things. I mean, this this you you know young woman shouting at the fucking UN, you know, fucking ace man. How dare you? How dare you concentrate on money, Greta? Greta you know? Thunberg. Yeah. How dare you? You know, it's brilliant. I think. Uh, I think there's more to that story than meets the eye. I think. I don't know. Ooh. It's a conspiracy theory. I, I, yeah, I think there is a conspiracy theory there, but I've not looked into it. But <laughs> uh, How does that girl get, get to the UN? You know, if you look into who her handlers are, who's paying her handlers, it's it's a bit... I'm not comfortable with a 16-year-old oh, I'm, I'm girl. Absolutely, I'm absolutely convinced that, it, you know, that she's managed. But, I mean, you know, so is Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. fair enough. I don't give a fuck. I, you know, I want to know who Trump's manager is. <laughs> Satan. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what, what, where are we going after the uh, charity single? Uh, well, I, I, this is before so, we go down a conspiracy wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, um, it's almost cancer time now. I've done... Uh, Should have a jingle for that. The, um, the album came out, the, the reggae album, like I said. Um, it did quite well. I did a, another album with the Mad Professor's son because he kept sending me these fantastic dubs of the stuff that I've done with his dad. So he then persuaded his dad to bring out, um, you know, to bring out a CD on the Ariwa label. You know, I was the first white guy to have a CD out on the wow. Ariwa label, uh, which I'm proud of. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, what was I doing then, really? <laughs> I was working. Um I think I got finally I got my final job then. The prison kind of um closed down. Um I didn't agree with a lot of the stuff of the so I I actually left before it closed, but um 
I was working for South Cumbria Rape and Abuse Services, which is quite a heavy kind of counselling gig. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but but very very uh, rewarding. Mm. And um, my uh, let's see, yeah, my mum had died. I looked up on my mum. She got Parkinson's disease and um, kind of, kind of dementia. You know, you know. She so, and in the end, even though I'd, I'd taken out a, a lot of money out, out of the, I, I took fifty percent of the money out of the house, and I had winches and wet rooms and goodness knows what. You know, looking after her. Uh, I had to put her in a home in the end. There comes a point where yeah. there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still beat myself up for that. But oh, I, don't. No, no. Don't I, the, um, the, uh, the matron of the, of the home said, Jesus Christ, Jim, how on earth did you cope with this woman? <laughs> it takes us nearly three people to sort her out in yeah. the morning. So, you know, I kind of got over that. Um, now, I'm, I'm spoken about my brother. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, my little brother, the farmer. Yep. Because I think I have spoken about him. We, we, yeah, so you talked about funny. him taking over the family business. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Always wanted to be a farmer. big as that door. And uh, he used to talk like that because <laughs> he never lost his accent, you know. Mm. He used to talk like that. It's London Puff coming up for Christmas. <laughs> Did you come up for Christmas? That lad thinks that playing drums is, is working, you know. <laughs> never did a day's work in his life, that lad. <laughs> I loved him to bits, man. I really loved him to bits. Big, gentle giant, you know. But he got gangrene. Gangrene. Yeah, got gangrene. It, this is a this is the kind of guy who, if you had a broken leg and a broken arm, would still manage to milk 150 fucking pedigree Frisians. You know, didn't like doctors and all that shit. So when he rang me up and said, "Jimmy, you need to take me to the A and E," I thought. Oh, oh, shit. Hell. Yeah, <laughs> something, must be serious. Something must be... Uh, and he got gangrene in just from cuts on his, you know. And, and of course, sweaty socks and Wellington's perfect for yeah. the incubation of, of that. And I will never forget sitting on the end of his bed in the hospital and that surgeon coming in saying, well, we've removed your big toe and up there. And we'll remove the uh, big toe up, up here. Now we just need to find out exactly how far the <coughs> infection has got. And then we need to take the decision of ankle, knee, or hip. Fucking and hell. I thought, uh, it's not what you want to hear on a Monday morning. No, no. <laughs> Was he still yeah. working? Uh, yeah. Fuck. You know, but he got infected and he couldn't get his... The only reason why he wasn't was that he couldn't get his boot on. You know, the little swollen... Yeah. 
So, uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, he had one leg amputated uh, just above the knee and one leg just below. And uh, it killed him, man, because he couldn't farm anymore, I think. I think it broke his fucking heart. Because yeah. this guy used to love his cows, you know. I mean, he left school, didn't do the common entrance exam like me. The hell with that, and he went to Winnarley, you know, oh, yeah. agricultural college. And, uh, and then my parents bought him the farm and all that. The kind of family business, you know. I've been doing it ever since, you know. Um, single guy, you know. I'm just a, a farmer, but a really lovely fucking human being, man. I've seen him cry when uh, when cows have got to go and stuff. You know, great big motherfucker he was, but sweet, sweet guy, you know. Mm. And he died... Uh, kind of um, 2007, two, round there, around 2007, round about the time that I got diagnosed with cancer, you know. <clears> or <throat> uh, oh, just before, actually, because I, I had to clear his house out and do a lot of kind of paperwork. And there was all kinds of... Uh, Family legal complications, you know, mm -hmm. and all that kind of shit. But I had to sell his farm and all that kind of stuff. I had to do all that, you know. So, I had no wife. I did not know. No, no. So you no, were no. next of kin, were you? Yeah. So, but he, he he was in a lot of debt, you know. But this is the story. It took I got diagnosed with cancer in two thousand and seven. And then I had my first operation, and then I'd had uh, two other operations, removing both testicles, prostate cancer. Um, and uh, I, I was told that I sent a letter <laughs> again. I, I don't know what I told you, but I got a letter saying, saying that, uh, yes, it's uh, aggressive, prostate cancer, etc. Very quick. You know, they had me in the hospital real quick. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> this is a good story, I think. Uh, meanwhile, I, I'm making my next CD, which is called Into the Dance, which I recorded at, at my bungalow in uh, Garstang while I had um, a catheter in and... <laughs> And all that. And then, that's where I started doing this kind of hand, hand playing just around my hands, mm. you know, all the time. And um, uh, I, I recorded that with a guy called Luke Padgett, who's a really good drummer. I gave him lessons, but he, he was at engineering college in Manchester and he had a big kind of mobile thing and he just. Just used to set it up in my living room, you know. So I was working on my, the into the dance uh, CD. <coughs> oh, man. But in um, in two thousand and ten. Uh, 
I was told that uh, I only had six or 12 months to live because the cancer got up into my ribs here, yeah. you know. And just after that, uh, my brother's solicitor rang up and said, um, Jim, I've got finally, finally got it all sorted out and all the money sorted out and all this kind of thing. So, um, you know, you better come in and I've got John's will to read, you know. Well, my brother always used to say, I'm leaving my fucking money to no fucker. I'm leaving it to National Farmers Union. I'm leaving it to British Freezing Association. <laughs> A great long list of fucking cow charities. <laughs> right. So I thought, well, you know, I looked after him towards the end. You never know, he might have left me a couple of hours. So I, got, I, I turned up to the... Um, I've turned up to the uh, um, solicitors and uh, he read out, you know, my brother's will, which was virtually a long list of fucking cow charities. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, the way your uh, solicitors kind of look on over the top of their specs at you, haven't yeah. they? He said, you may be interested in this last paragraph, Jim. He said, if I die before my brother, James Edward, he gets a lot. Wow. Ah. Boom, you know. He's going to knock me over with a feather. Wow. Yeah. So, literally two or three weeks after I've been told that I've got six or 12 months to live, mm. I come into quite a bit of money. Yeah. Are we talking like six figures? Not quite. Right. Nearly. Well, if it was me, I'd probably go fucking ape shit. Well, guess fucking what? <laughs> so, uh, guess what? What did you yeah. buy first? <laughs> a swimming pool. Oh, right. I put a fucking swimming pool behind a bungalow in Garstang. <laughs> Seriously, I'll show you pictures. Honestly, right. because me and Sonny there had been had been to a convention in uh, in Barcelona, yeah. and we were on the twenty third floor, I think. And two floors up on the roof, there's just this one lane swimming pool, and I thought that's fucking ace. I want one of them. <laughs> So I did. Yeah. Uh, that was the first thing I bought. Right. Because it made me good for me. Swimming was good for me cancer. And I, it, oh, right. It was the only thing that wasn't that painful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. <coughs> so, yeah. So then, her nibs and myself, we went fucking ape shit. Travelling? We went travelling First class, obviously, all the way. Weeks in uh, weeks in Cuba, uh, months in uh, <laughs> Marrakesh, yep. Spain, all all, all over the fucking place, you know. <coughs> Until I suddenly realised it was two thousand and eleven. 
Shit. Mm. And you were still here. Well, the fuck's happening, you know? Yeah. So I remember coming home um, <clears throat> and ringing my uh, oncologist, you know, cancer. Um, Why am I dead? I'm saying, you know, what's going on now? You mm. know, you know, do I... And he said, well, you, next week you're due for another bone scan. So I went in for this bone scan and, uh, you know, it's kind of top to bottom thing. And uh, your cancer comes up like a little uh, area lit up, you know, bits here or here or here. Right. And then they're gone. Right. Gone. Uh, and the the guy who who was doing the bone scan said, "That's unusual. I'll, I'll check all the equipment." And uh, and then and then my oncologist said, "Said well, well, there must have been something wrong with the equipment <coughs> because the cancer seems to have disappeared. So you need to come back in." And I went back in, did it again, and then it disappeared. So, miracles. Yeah. I mean, did you definitely have cancer in the first place? (laughs) I guess is the kind of first question. Yeah. I mean, there are stories about spontaneous remission, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, has anyone put it down to anything? Is there any common correlations? They've done all kinds of tests. Yeah. And the cancer was, why I was told I only had uh, so long to live, the cancer was in my ribs. In your bones of your ribs? No, not in bones. It was in what's called the sclerotic region, which is kind of like a muscular. Intercostal, between uh, the... That's right. Yeah. Yeah, in between your ribs. Mm-hmm. But they said it's only a matter of time before it, it does get into yeah. your bones. Right. So, but... When I came back, I still got the letter. So it's months in Marrakesh that did it. <laughs> yeah, I was swimming the pool. Yeah. Have you done any research? Unfortunately, I was nearly fucking flat broke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's another story. Have you Have that's you done any? Story. Have you looked online trying to find out if there's any uh, research into it? Or research into, into it? It's a spontaneous remission. No, not really. Mm-hmm. I just uh, took took uh, uh, sunshine out for a meal with some friends of mine in Manchester. Yeah. Um, had a bit of a celebration, and that was that, really. Mm. So, yeah, amazing. You're you're a living miracle. Yeah, looks like it. Yeah. Looks like it, man. Yeah. So, is this when you moved back to Preston then? No, I uh, recorded. Um, I recorded, and my album "Into the Dance" was out by then, which is another charity thing. Um, uh, this was for. Um, is it called Hope House? I can't remember. I've got the stuff up there. Darien House. Uh, there's a, a cancer charity in um, in Preston here. Darien House. No, not Darien mm. House. Uh, Mary. Oh no. Uh, anyway, so Macmillan. Uh, no, that's a big one. Isn't it? National, no. yeah. 
uh, well, there was a branch in Garston. Right. Um, and I just used to be able to go in there and get a cup of tea and talk to people. They were brilliant. They put me on to Macmillan, who, I'd, of course, had done, I've done kind of videos and all kinds of stuff. That's something we need to get onto um, because the prostate cancer thing, mm. you know, we're young-ish men. Yeah. Uh, people don't talk about it. And Not often enough. There's a specific test, isn't there, that you recommend, Jim? Well, it's changing really quickly now because they've got, they're bringing out um, kind of new tests and different things uh, all, all the time. There's... Um, a bit of controversy on how accurate the old um, PSA uh, was it PSA one yeah, yeah. prostate specific. specific antigen test it was a kind of numbers thing from your blood a blood test right yeah and apparently there are new ways now of doing it uh, uh, but but yeah blood tests are uh, I, I think maybe um if if i do a kind of uh if i do one of these podcasts on on cancer i I can kind of get to that you know um because a lot of it is hilarious you know a lot of it is real kind of billy Connolly stuff you know it's very fucking funny man you know we're going through the process of being Diagnosed with cancer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the operations. Really? And the w- wonderful old um, farmer from Aslinden that I met in hospital. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And on and on and on. It, it, it's just funny, man. Yeah. You know, it's like we were talking about before, you know, seeing those signs. <laughs> Stroke patients here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's me, you know. So I come, in, I... come in and stroke me. How, how did it feel when you um, when you went for that scan and got given the all clear? I, got, uh, I was amazed. Yeah, you know, I was a bit pissed off because of, <laughs> you know, uh, well, fucking hell, you know, I've spent all my money now. Did you feel like um, you'd been given maybe a second chance? Yeah, and that you did you. You know, I don't uh, know. Again, it's uh, you know, it's one of those moments, isn't it, when you think, well, you know, what now? Give back, you know. Mm. So the first thing I thought when I finished that album was make money for this charity, and then the last album that I made was the last album that I made in Garstang while I was living in Garstang. Um, uh, and then I moved to Preston. Yeah. <coughs> and that was the rhythm album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ah, meanwhile, another bee in my bonnet. <laughs> I watched, uh, I got a little bit of an award for this, actually. I watched a documentary by a wonderful woman called Dr. Layla Hussein. Uh, she's an old being now, I think, on an MBA. Anyway, anyway, uh, about female genital mutilation. Oh, God. Yeah. So I've got a bee in my bonnet about that. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, made a, a, a CD. 
uh, charity CV about that. Raised quite a bit of money for that. First cut is the deepest, wasn't it? Yeah, first cut is the deepest. Mm. Cat Stevens mm. song. Um, which I recorded with um, Alan Gregson, who used to be in um, uh, Corner Shop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brimpool of Asher guy. Yeah. Who has a little studio just down the road here. West Orange. Yeah. Yeah. West Orange. That's where it was recorded, Brimpool of Asher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did uh, West Orange. Uh, he's in France now. Oh, is he? With all my drums. Did he buy your drums off you? Yeah? He bought my drum kit. Yeah. Wow. Because he said it was the finest sounding fucking snare drum he'd ever heard in his life. What's that? What snare was that? My original Olympic snare drum. Oh, from the, the very shop first, window. The very first drum kit I ever got. And it was all peeling off, you know. And Was it the steel, you know. steel snare? But I, I'd retarted really, really it up, you know. Mm. I had a, a 42 strand snare on it, that thick, yeah. you know. And it was just beautiful, you know. You could, it was so resonant, you know. I just tweaked it up. I got this um, this thing from kind of roadies, you know. I can't remember which roadie I got this thing from, but if you lifted my snare drum case up, it said, Stop! Do you fucking know exactly what you're doing, pal? <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. So, Drums are easy to fuck up. Oh, yeah. yeah. But he's... Uh, yeah, so the, the, yeah, my drunkard is. Um, he sent me a photo because he's building a he's building a studio in a, a place in France, you know, kind of ace, you know, brilliant. Mm. So uh, yeah, that was so that went quite well. That, the that, FGM one, yeah, uh, made quite a bit of money. Uh, would have made more money if um, if it hadn't been kind of licensed for Cat know, Stevens. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but Cat Stevens donated as well, gave all his royalties to it. Oh, that's nice. So we got that, got that back and sold in there. Mm. Yeah, and I went down to London and <laughs> had a bit of a. That's when I went to on the old, um, you know, I said I went down to London and. Uh, Alexis O was doing his memoirs. Oh, yeah. And we had that meeting. We had a yeah. Yeah, I went down to London. We all met up. But also, the other excuse was like, I got a, I think a certificate or something. Right. Presented by by these, by the Daughters of Eve, um, which is a charity, FGM. Is uh, it? Right. Yeah, Daughters of Eve charity. At uh, Manor Gardens, yeah, yeah, it's one of these problems. It's sort of it's drifted out of the public consciousness a bit over the last year or two, I would say. Yeah, it peaked a little, didn't it? There was a peak in awareness, wasn't there? And you know, it's still going on. I'd say what people don't talk about male genital mutilation either. Yeah, I'm uh, which is a bit of a hot button issue. <laughs> I'm uh, circumcised, I'm cavalier. Yeah. I think I'm going to have a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you weren't sure, Ben, were you? you no, no, I wasn't sure. 
He just has a huge helmet. <laughs> certainly uh, touching places that other podcasts don't touch here. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, yeah. So, I'm, yeah, I'm still in Garstang mm. and uh, decide to record my last CD, Rhythm, with uh, uh, a guy called Neil Garland, who had been pestering me and pestering me to really wanted to work with me. So, yeah, yeah, did that. Rhythm and and recorded that in in, in my bungalow. All right. While, while it was being uh, sold, almost <laughs> just kind of sell it, and then I moved, moved to Preston. All right, that's where I met you. Brought that out. That's right. Yeah. Picks me doorbell. Yeah, did a few <laughs> jobs. Fucking, <coughs> yeah. I walked into your house. I thought, what fucking job have I walked to here? <laughs> Why? Why? Because you were such a wild character. It was like, uh, oh. you know, you were you're very bombastic wild and, um, you know, a breath of fresh air. It's like, cracky. Oh, good. You know. Oh, pleased about that. And I saw, you know, like, the music and the uh, them Sennheiser headphones you had. HD 660s or something. I thought, wow. Oh, my dream no, headphones. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're down there. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, that's Had must a good be uh, sound system in there as well. Good eight years ago, that is it. I bet it is. I bet I it's till 2011, know. maybe maybe 2012. Wow. But uh, you you're doing well anyway, Jim. Considering how recently it is since you've had the stroke. Was it a mini? Stroke. Do they call it a mini stroke? Yeah, it's a uh, infarction, isn't it? Infarction. A TIA. TIA. Yeah. Transgenic uh, infarction of the. Is it a loss of blood supply to the part of the brain? Uh, uh, it's a blockage. Right. Mine was in the left hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they did all the tests for bleeds and all that stuff. If it's bleeding, it's more, it's more serious. You know, they've got. <coughs> <clears throat> but the, the, you know, if he's bleeding, if there's blood, then then you can you can uh, treat it outside the brain. But if it's bleeding, you might have to go in. You've got to stem the bleeding somehow. So that was the first uh, relief, I guess, when they said, <clears throat> you know, there's no, there's no bleeding, and there's no, and they have loads of tests and stuff. And uh, I mean that was even funny, you know, because I'd just woken up on the Saturday morning, and a friend of mine rang me up, um, you know, who's on the program. If you get me, yep. And he said, "Jim, you be honest with me." I said, "Yeah, man, I'm always fucking honest with you." He said, "If you had a drink." And I went, no, why? Oh, he said, well, he's slurring your words really badly. I can hardly understand you. And I, I thought, I am. <laughs> you know. You hadn't realised. No, it's just overnight, man. Bloody hell. Woke up in the morning and I, I could hardly speak. 
Shit. Well, you can hear it now, can't you? Just slightly. Yeah, a little, yeah. Little kind of hesitancies and, and things. So, yeah, so the paramedics and off I went. No, oh, no, you know. But I remember a, a funny thing. There's this little, uh, this little doctor came in and he said, um, can you stand up all right, Mr. Bernard? Yeah, certainly. So I got out of bed. And then he said, grip me by the hand, grip me by both hands, and pull me towards you. When I nearly <laughs> fucking kissed him. <laughs> yeah, he hadn't realised I'm a drummer, you know. And then he said, okay, that seems to be all right. <laughs> Grasp me again and push me away. And I just went, and he went fucking straight over. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> it was straight over on his ass. Oh, oh. And of course, it's a fucking teaching hospital, isn't it? So you, you've got two or three <laughs> students with clipboards all going. <laughs> <laughs> all smirking, you know. Oh, God. Good one. But you've had the speech therapy, haven't you, I believe? Yes. Yeah. I'm meant to be talking <coughs> very, very slowly. Oh, right, that's part of it, is it? Yes. A little bit like my friend who was in the prostate ward with me, talking very, very slowly like that. But oh, yeah. he was from Adlington, <laughs> near Boom. The mouth. <coughs> Yeah, I've got to tell you about him someday. That's part of it. You've got to try and slow what down. What a fucking character. Slow yeah, down. I guess. Yeah. Uh, one good thing is that um, this is my first day today. Uh, giving up smoking. I'm like, shit, fucking brick. I, if I had uh, 50 quid for every time I tried to give up smoking, I'd still have a fucking place in the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, but this, uh, I, I'm glad about this. People, sometimes people don't understand me when I say, well, I'm, I'm quite glad about the cancer. You know, it's a psychological theory about getting a better perspective on shit, you know. But, um, you know, I'm a kind of glad I've had a, smo uh, a, a smoke, a stroke. But, um, because it, I think this time I'm really going to fucking do it, you know. Mm. I'm really going to stop. You think this is the straw that's going to break the camel's back? Well, uh, I mean, everywhere where you go in a hospital, people are saying, stop smoking, stop smoking. You know, whoever so, you come up against, you know. Went to the dentist two weeks so, ago, they told me about, they were giving me grief about smoking. Yeah, yeah. Everyone does. Well... I think this time, uh, and I've got a completely, somehow, I've got a completely different attitude about it. Mm. You know, I think before I was kind of battling it, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's no, I mean, I don't really feel any kind of, uh, what's, you know. Withdrawal? No. No, I don't. Or, um. What's the word for a 
DTs. You know, uh, cravings. Cravings, that's the very word, thank you. Yeah. Don't really feel any of that. It's just the kind of habit, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think it's mainly psychological rather than physical addiction? I know it is. Yeah. It's going to be embarrassing when I go for this one-to-one, really. You know, when I tell her, uh, well, uh, actually, um, I'm a highly qualified addiction therapist. <laughs> uh, all right, you're having a one-to-one for giving up the fags. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, it will be uh, interesting now, yeah, won't so, it? Cause you know, yeah, I'm a highly qualified... Uh, <laughs> <coughs> so, I'm, I, I mean, nicotine is out of your system in 48 hours. Really? That quick? So what else is it? There's only one thing left, isn't there? Head. It's in your head. It's the worst, they reckon, the worst psychological um, addiction. Craving thing. Yeah. The worst, <laughs> worse than cocaine, crack, anything. You know? Wow. Uh, uh but I get, we, strangely, I don't feel that this time. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the four days when I was in hospital, I was absolutely craving them. Just give me a fucking cigarette, you know. Uh, but I went four days there. I, the first thing I did when I got here was have a pack. Very first thing when I walked in. Yeah. You know. But now I feel, yeah. Touch water or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel it. Good. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Know. Well, I hope you kick it this time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, well, it's getting late. Is it? Yeah. I think we're going to have to adjourn yeah. this week. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've done an oh, hour and a half. half. Hour and a half already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My yeah. God. Time flies. I've got an early start in the morning. Ugh. But, uh, Bless you. Oh, I really don't like Mondays, as Bob, well, Gal- Bob Geldof once said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to shoot up anything, but it's kind of got to be done now. It has. Yep. So it's got to be done at one stage. Thanks know. very much, Jim. Yes, thanks once again, Jim. Yeah, it's slightly <coughs> uh, downbeat this time, though. No, no it's no. fine. Uh, well, we're on a, we've yeah. ended on a positive note. Immaculate, I was going to say immaculate conceptions. It's not that, is it? <laughs> uh, I hope miracle. Not. Miracle. I hope not. <laughs> miracle remissions. Yeah. Miracle remissions. And well, that's, yeah, it's true, man. I knew I was going to talk about that, which is why I asked you about the Jerusalem Rose. Oh, yeah. <gasps> which I'll show you in a minute. Oh, Jim's going to show us his Jerusalem Rose. <laughs> oh, Jerusalem Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Right, thanks for listening, eavesdroppers yeah, and stream you. droppers. We'll be back with Jim in the near future, no doubt. And we're going to wrap up for this week. So, yeah. sit, ta-ra. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, mate. Wakanda forever. Bye-bye. See you next Bye-bye. time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.